We are blessed this morning to welcome uh, once again Randy and Deanna Harrison, their daughter Rachel, uh, for this Sunday morning service. Randy and Deanna went with YWAM to Mexico in 1978. Was it seven? 1977. So they have been God's missionaries to the world for coming on 35 years very soon. So Randy, please come. You are completely free to share as God leads, and we are thrilled to have you here. God bless you. Good morning. It's always great to be back here at, uh, am I plugged in? Is this working? Try this again. I don't think so. Are you getting a green light? No, I'm not getting a green light. At least it's not red. I have a green light. I'm uh, amazed at your faithfulness and grateful for all that you do for us and have done for us for almost 35 years now. Um, that's really incredible. Um, it, it never fails to amaze me as, as well as how many people have, have uh, blessed our lives that uh, come out of this congregation. We prayed for Peter and Elaine Givens and they were uh, instrumental in our first going to Zaire with WEC. Uh, we, uh, just right after we got back from, um, um, from Mexico with YWAM. Sorry about that. I didn't do it. I'm, I mean, I know I had a part in it, but uh, do I not have this high enough for it to pick up right? Or Okay. Um, we were, knew we wanted to be in missions. We knew we wanted to go out full time, and we didn't feel like it was YWAM. We hadn't got a clue uh, how we were going to go, what mission we would go with. We had a call to go to Zaire in the middle of Africa, and we came back, and I found out that Peter and Elaine Givens were in town, people that I knew, who were missionaries in Zaire where God had called us to go. So I made an appointment with them. We went out to eat, and I said, uh, Deanna wasn't with me. She was doing some training for ACE, and uh, so we went out to, to a meal, and, and, uh, and I was talking with them, and I was saying, can, can we just go back with you? Because we're called to go to Zaire, and you're in Zaire. Can we go back with you? And they explained to me uh, that that wasn't possible, that uh, they had no American missionaries in their mission, and uh, that I couldn't do that. And uh, that very day, I had received some literature uh, from, from WEC, WEC International, uh, and I really liked the, the literature. I really liked what they said and all that they said about faith and sacrifice and, and uh, reaching the, the nations with the gospel. And uh, uh, so I, I said, well, have you ever heard of WEC? And Elaine Gibbons, in the middle of his restaurants, shouts with a very loud voice, that's it, that's where you should go. And she was right. Um, God has done a lot through various people uh, in this uh, congregation, and we are so grateful to be a part of you. Well, let me see if I can do this. Uh, I'm familiar with most of this, except for this fancy match. Uh, 
see if I can get it to work. Okay, there we go. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. One chapter later, I don't know if he was where it would be one chapter later, he said, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But he also said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world. Do you get the implications here? We have Jesus' job. Whether you're employed or unemployed or whatever condition you find yourself in, Jesus gave you his job. He is the light of the world, and now he says, you are the light of the world. I don't know about you, when I think of that, I think, what an incredible responsibility. And what an incredible privilege. And then I started thinking, how in the world can I do that? How can I be what Jesus was to this world? Now, when I get past the stage of that's impossible, and I start trying to realize, well, what, what are the means? How, what did Jesus leave us with in order to do that? I, I came up with this illustration. Now, we use a lot of these in, used a lot of these in Zaire. Fortunately, in Abidjan, most of the time we have electricity, and I, we no longer need to use these. And in fact, I now take these nice little lights, you know, all, all those little lights with batteries and so forth, and so even when electricity gets cut, I still have pretty good lighting. But originally, when we went to the field, all we had were lights like this. And um, an African pastor was uh, using the light like this for an illustration, and I actually stole his message. There are three things that are essential for this light to be effective. And I'm going to compare those three things with three things in our life. The first thing that this light needs, absolutely essential, is the oil. Has anybody ever tried to light one of these without putting the oil in? Come on, we got a few foolish virgins in here somewhere, don't we? Okay. I've done that. Do you, do you know what did you get when you did that? The wig burns and you get kind of black smoke curling around and everything. And it dirties up this glass that's nice pretty glass that's up here. That's kind of like us if we don't depend on the Holy Spirit. Uh, oil in the Bible is often uh, compared to the Holy Spirit. You know, do, yeah, that's it. Okay. It's a symbol of, for the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And as the oil gives energy for the light to burn, the Holy Spirit gives the energy and the possibility for us to be lights in this world. Jesus could not have given us that task if he didn't give us the possibility 
for fulfilling that task. And that possibility is not in any kind of dependence on ourselves, but in total dependence on the Holy Spirit to give us the power, the anointing for being that light in this world. In fact, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. I like to think of the image of that wick just burning with a kind of a black smoke. It's, that's what we're able to do without the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, fortunately, the Holy Spirit never leaves us. And the Holy Spirit is always there, and whether you're aware of it or not, he is functioning with us. And actually, when you're getting that little black smoke, that wick still has a little bit of the oil left in it. Even though you let it run dry, there's still a little bit there. And I, I often feel like we as Christians function like that wick that still has a little bit left in it. And we, 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 we can give off the black smoke. We can still do a little bit for the Lord. But we're not functioning in that power that he intended for us to have. God wants our wick to be soaked in the oil. In Acts, he uses the image of filled with the Spirit. That the Spirit, so, we're soaked up in the Spirit in such a way that the power and the light and the witness comes naturally. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Acts 9.31, we have this account of the church. Now this is in the RHV, that's the Randy Harrison version. Um, I wanted to try to get the Greek in there the way it would fit, and it doesn't make a good English sentence. But anyway, the church was experiencing peace, being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. It was multiplying. All of these things are going together. Being in peace, being in the fear of the Lord, being in the encouragement in the Holy Spirit, and the church was multiplying. Encouragement of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts was all the, the, all the things that the Spirit was doing through the apostles. As they were going from place to place, the Holy Spirit was going with them and doing incredible things that made their witness work and caused the church to grow incredibly. I don't think I need to convince anybody in this room of the validity of this principle that we must depend on the Holy Spirit if we want to be effective witnesses for Jesus Christ. I think if I took a show of hands, I would get a 100% vote, yes, that is true. I think also if we were all in this room to compare our own lives with the book of Acts, we would probably come to the conclusion that we are not walking in the same intensity of Holy Spirit encouragement as some of these early believers. That's no problem. You can, you can agree with me on that. The problem comes when we say, okay, what should we do about this? I've heard of three things that people want to do about this, or I've seen with my own eyes three things that we want to do about this. How do we change that? The first answer I hear is, we don't. We don't change that. God is sovereign. He'll do what he pleases. 
Now, this is what I would call the non-charismatic approach. Um, although charismatics sometimes say that as well. God is sovereign. He'll do what he pleases. That's true. Sometimes God will, will totally uh, do what he wants, regardless of what we do or say or, or, or how we seek him. He will be sovereign, and he will just automatically step in and do something. But I find most of the time, God wants to work through us and expects a little cooperation in this affair. The uh, second solution to this is uh, what I would call the charismatic approach, or the modern charismatic approach, and that is we help God out. If we're praying for someone and we want them to be blessed and be slain in the spirit, push a little bit. Um, or I've, I've heard people say, if you feel like you might want to fall down in the spirit, just go ahead and give in to it, and you'll get slain in the spirit that way. People get some hurt shoulders and problems with their back from doing that kind of thing. But we want to help God out. If we see some people being blessed and the power of God come upon people and they, they fall in the spirit and they come up with a testimony and they're saying how blessed they are by that, then we want to somehow reproduce that. And if there's any way we can help God out, we'll do it. Or let's, uh, perhaps we might uh, talk about speaking in tongues. Well, that's the classic uh, Pentecostal charismatic uh, manifestation of the Holy Spirit when a person's baptized in the Holy Spirit, so uh, we all need to speak in tongues, and we believe in speaking in tongues, so what happens when someone doesn't speak in tongues? Well, maybe we can teach them a little bit. We can kind of prime the pump and, and help them out so that they can speak in tongues, you know. Try breathing loudly for a little while. I can laugh at that, you can laugh at that. There may be some people in this room who were actually blessed by that. God actually gave them a gift of speaking in tongues by following these instructions. I've actually heard people give these instructions, you know, first breathe loudly, now start trying to make some sounds. Whatever comes to your mind, go ahead and do that. And eventually, you know, uh, just, just speak in tongues. We want to help God out. If, the, if it's not happening, let's just help him out a little bit. Healing. We all believe in healing. You know, I came to the Lord through a healing. I, I've shared that probably a dozen times in this church, how one of my best friends, Rob Mitchell, was healed of asthma and emphysema in an instant. And, and when he came to me and spoke to me, God, like a hammer, pounded on my heart, and I gave my life to Jesus. Uh, through this incredible miracle that I witnessed with my own eyes. Miracle of healing. So we believe in healing, and we want to see it happen. So in the charismatic world, what we do, if it doesn't happen, then we just say it happened, and maybe it will. And some people have been healed that way. So I don't want to say God can't bless you. Like I said, God is sovereign. And he can overrule in any instance, even if we're not doing it the way he intended for it to be done. And he wants so badly that his church 
represent the power of Jesus in this world, that he will overlook an enormous amount of faults in our own lives. I know he's done it in mine, and I've seen him do it in a variety of really weird people. The third solution to this problem of the difference, I believe, is actually what is taught in the scriptures, and that is persistent prayer. We can't give up. I have a feeling that a lot of you are like me in this church. I got the reputation in France as a non-practicing charismatic. I was safe. They could invite me to come in and speak because I wasn't going to stir things up. I don't want that reputation. I want to have the reputation that the power of God is flowing through my life and I can see God doing things. But then I have to look at it and think, maybe I want that reputation more than I want God to be glorified. Um, there's a lot of things that are involved in this. But I think uh, the uh, old Pentecostals had a saying, tarrying for the Spirit, that I don't want to give up on. Jesus taught us to persevere in prayer. And in that very passage that, uh, where Jesus taught it, it's Luke chapter thir- 11, verse 13, Jesus says to his disciples, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Now that comes right after, I think I already shared about this once before, so I'll, I won't spend a long time on this, but that's right after the passage where Jesus teaches on prayer. We have the, the, the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, and afterwards uh, we have Jesus saying, uh, uh, ask and it will be given you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you, and those are present tense uh, uh, imperatives, which means ask, and keep on asking, seek, and keep on seeking, knock, and keep on knocking. You've got the image of this this woman who comes to the judge, and and the judge won't give her her what she wants, but because she persists, because she just keeps pestering this judge, the judge will finally give the answer and respond to this woman. And Jesus is using all of this as an example that we need to persevere in prayer. In prayer. And the final thing at the end of this section in Luke chapter 11 is this verse that I just quoted to you. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And I want to add there, this is also present tense, but doesn't have to be quoted that way, to those who ask him and keep on asking him. A lot of times I think we just give up too quickly or we just don't have the time to persevere in prayer and ask God to deliver us. Well, that was the first element. That's the oil. We desperately need, desperately need the Holy Spirit to empower us. And without the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. Nothing of any benefit for the kingdom of God. With the Holy Spirit, we can be lights like Jesus. The second element that you have to have for this lamp to work it's the wick. You got the oil, you got the wick. Now, what is the wick? 
I compared the oil to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to compare the wick to us. You know, we're the ones that have to be filled with the Holy Spirit, soaked in the Holy Spirit. But we're also the wick, and our job is to burn a little. Now, that hurts. We need to be willing to pay a price. There is always a price to pay for effectiveness. Jesus said it like this. In John chapter 12 and verse 24, he said, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Well, you and I know that Jesus is talking about himself there. That he himself had to give his life as a ransom for many. And that because he died, we can live. And sometimes we want to stop there at the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. But Jesus didn't stop there. In John chapter 12, verses 25 and 26, we read, the man who loves his life will lose it while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. Jesus gave his life, and he expects us to give our lives. Now, this is not the kind of message that we like to hear. We would much prefer to hear, God wants to bless you. God wants to give you all these things. And that's a true message as well. But this message of sacrifice, of a price to pay, that we also pay. Jesus paid a price, but we also pay a price. We also are called to suffer for Jesus Christ. Called to pay a price to see his kingdom expanded. And that is very much a part of the gospel. I don't know what price God has called you to pay, what he wants you to do. Um, I can only look at my own life and see the things that, that God has asked of me and the things that I've been willing to give to him in order to see the kingdom of God advanced. Without that attitude, it's a little difficult for the light to burn. Jesus wants to work with us. And he wants us to get so involved in what he's doing in this world that nothing is out of bounds. Everything in our lives is ready, is, is, is on the altar. We're prepared to give up anything or sacrifice anything or give anything that we have that belongs to us in order for the kingdom of God to be established here on earth. That's what he's looking for. I am not the greatest example in the world. Not too long ago, my wife wanted to go back to Africa, and I told her, okay, I'll go back to Africa, but I'm taking my bed. When I first went to Africa, I was a young man. I arrived in Africa at the age of 25. I rode on the backs of trucks and went for hundreds of miles with the 
eating bananas because that's all I could find. I slept on grass mats and all this kind of stuff. Um, when I was uh, 50, I found that a little, little bit more difficult. So I told my wife, I'll go back to Africa if I can take my bed. Now she says I didn't mention the air conditioning either, but I, I remember myself mentioning also air conditioning, which is only works as if you have electricity. And unfortunately, at the hottest times of the years, the power circuits for most of the cities in Africa break down and cannot supply the electricity when everyone needs it. But what are the prices that we pay as missionaries? Like I say, each of you has a price to pay, and I don't know what your price is, so I can only talk about my own, and maybe some of it will relate to you, because I certainly don't have a corner on the market for this. Separation. Separation from friends and family is one of the first things that missionaries have to learn. You're no longer apart. That means we had to leave you. Well, come think of it. Maybe that's not too hard. I could go to the next one. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, we left our family, and, and what's even harder now is leaving our kids. You know, uh, the, leaving my parents, you know, uh, that was, you know, that was kind of hard, but leaving my kids or watching my kids go elsewhere, that seems a little bit harder. Sickness. I have always, uh, from the mission field, from day one on the mission field, I had a problem with sicknesses. Uh, maybe you can believe for healing more than I can. I praise the Lord. Go for it. My daughter inherited this, I think. Yeah. She, uh, we got this, uh, we, we were talking with her on Skype. I, I didn't ask her if I could say this, but I think it's okay. Um, she's, we're asking how it, she, uh, she's been in college, and this is, she did an internship in Burundi uh, this summer. And so when, when she got there, we were, we were Skyping with her or talking with her on the phone or something. I can't remember exactly how we got a hold of her. And she said, how, how is it? And she's just loving it, you know. She just loves being back in Africa, you know. And, uh, and so uh, then we talk a little bit further and find out, well, she's got amoebas. And she has this little problem of running back and forth to the outhouse, you know. Uh, but she just loves it. She just can't get over her house. She just loves it there. And I'm thinking... If I'm running back and forth to the outhouse, I'm not loving it. For her, that wasn't a, that wasn't a big deal. For me, that's, that's a big deal, you know, and I, I, I get that. These are all S's, by the way. Um, I, I, I just like doing that because the S's, you know, it makes a sound which reminds me of a snake, which is a symbol of Satan. And these are the things that Satan tries to use to discourage me and get me off the mission field. And so if I think, that's a little complicated, I know. Suffering. I had to say that because of this word. I, I have a hard time saying that I suffer because when I think of the Christians in the world that really suffer, my suffering is not anything. I wanted to use the word hardship, but I needed a word with an S. Um, you know, missionaries have to live with things that you prefer not to live with, difficulties and so forth, and I talked a little bit about that with the bed, uh, but you can, you can just add a number of things, all kinds of things, you know, that, it, that are hardships, or at least we think they're hardships. Other people just think, can't imagine that people actually live like we do here in the United States. It's just beyond their imagination, totally beyond their imagination. What they consider normal life, we consider suffering. 
The next word is stupefaction. That's what I wanted to use disorientation, but again, it didn't have an S. But as you uh, arrive on the mission field, you realize that you're stupid. Uh, and you, you start out really, really stupid. And as you go along, you become less and less stupid. And everybody thinks you're stupid because you sure talk like a person who's stupid. Um, and not only that, you don't understand anything. Now, hopefully, after you've been there for a while, your level of stupefaction, I know that I'm not using that word correctly, but bear with me, your level, hopefully, will get better and better. But our problem is we've moved to so many different countries and gone so many different places that we could just start all over at being stupid. You may think, you know, that's not a big deal, but when you're used to feeling like you're fairly smart, to suddenly become stupid is kind of hard. Simple lifestyle. Let's pass over that one for now. Well, no, let's not do that. Let's not pass over that. We choose a simple lifestyle probably because we have to. You need to choose a simple lifestyle as a choice so that you have more energy, more funds, more possibilities for furthering the kingdom of God. Yours is harder than mine. I have to choose a simple lifestyle simply because the non-simple lifestyle is not available for me. And when I come back to the States, it just seems like normal just to continue in that simple lifestyle because, uh, you know, the, the other one's kind of scary. Um, but for you, living in a, a, a world of wonder, or things like automatic matches, <laughs> you have to actually choose simpleness. Now, all of those things, uh, missionaries forever have been doing it. The next two uh, are getting worse and worse in the world. Security issues. And these were issues that most of the older missionaries, we didn't know that. Although it's, it's been gradually moving up in the world as, as a major concern for missionaries, is security, our own security. Security issues. Lots and lots and lots and lots of missionaries face those today. Now, you don't, most of the time, you don't think you face those, but occasionally we get a wake-up call, and you actually are insecure as well. Um, our security is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we don't want to do things that are stupid, although, you know, that stupid level is in there somewhere. Um, but we know that we are followers of Jesus Christ, and we have work to do. You know, the, the great thing about it, all this is that I can have all these things that are wrong with me. You know, I can be sick, and I can have back problems, and I can have all these things, and I can say, praise the Lord, I have this because I'm a missionary. You can have all those problems, and you can't say that. Um, <laughs> you know, I can, I can just say, well, maybe I'll get some more stars in heaven because I've, I've done this. We all need to have a some, something like that. Not just missionaries that need to understand that the sacrifices that I make are for the kingdom of God. But everyone in this room 
needs to have that sense of accomplishment. I gave something. I sacrificed something. I gave my life so that the kingdom of God could go forward. And we all need that in our lives. We were made for that. I was made for this. And I have so much pleasure. Now, if I'm sitting there and listening to the helicopters going overhead, all these attack helicopters, or the bombs exploding, did we get to the bomb exploding picture yet? Have we already seen that, or is it, it coming up? You hear these bombs exploding, grenades, whatever, uh, you know, I, you, know you, you don't do a whole lot of laughing at that point. You're probably hiding, uh, you know, in the bathroom because, or something like that. But I know that I'm where God wants to be and doing what he wants me to do. And that makes all the difference in the world. And that's the third principle. Oh, my light's about to go out here, so I better readjust. You know you need to readjust from time to time, right? Because you need more oil. You need that oil influencing your life, doing what you're doing. Anyway, the third principle. We had the principle of power, principle of a price to pay, and the third principle is placement. Now, when we first got to Zaire, this was all the light we had. It was a little bigger than this. It was a storm lantern. Uh, these pretty things, you know, they sell here, but they're not very useful. Uh, you need one that's going to, you know, when the wind blows, it's not going to blow it out. You need one that you can carry around. It's not going to get break, break real easily. But this, this will serve its purpose here today. Um, all, that's all we had in the beginning, you know, and I remember preparing lesson plans. Dan and I were teaching in a high school, and we prepare lesson plans, and we set this in the middle of the table. And I got my books over here, and I can't see. I can't see today. Man, I wouldn't even try it, you know, with, with same eyes, you know. Uh, but I, I have this thing in the middle of the table, and so we stick it up on a couple of books. And on a couple of books, I can just barely read what I'm trying to prepare my lessons. You know, I'm trying to write my notes here for teaching class the next day. And uh, then it, if, if Deanna needed to go out to the bathroom or whatever, and she'd take her flashlight and go out to the outhouse or so forth, I wouldn't leave this light in the middle of the table. I'd pull it over close to me. Oh, I can see a little better now. Uh, of course, she came back. It'd have to go back to the middle of the table. And if she left, it went over to her side of the table. Placement is extremely important for a, a light like this. See, our problem, when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, a lot of us think like these floodlights or these, uh, these uh, neon bulbs or anything. Let me tell you, you're not a neon bulb. You're a little oil lamp. I'm a little oil lamp. And if that oil lamp is not close enough, it's not going to be effective. And if it's shining in a place where there's a lot of light, it will hardly be noticed. And that's your problem. You don't feel like you're effective because you're shining in a place that has so much light. You go to a place where there's darkness, extreme darkness. Let me tell you, you take this into a room 
where there's no light and no windows and no doors, I don't know how you got in that room, but if you go there <laughs> with this light, you will be surprised how much you notice this light. And that's the way it is with a lot of missionaries. You know, you think, what have I got to offer? What can I do? This world is in tremendous need. And all of a sudden you go there, and bam! You're, you've got something, because you're in a place of darkness. And the light shines in the darkness. But it's got to get close. And that's the reason why you support missions. Because the light has to go there. Every time I get in a plane and fly either from Africa to here or from here to Africa, I call it passing through the warp zone. Because I feel like I'm in, uh, in uh, Star Trek, you know? And uh, all of a sudden there's this flash of light, and the, the starship goes through all these stars and ends up in another planetary system, another universe, and everything's different in that universe. Well, that's kind of the way I feel going from Africa to here and back. You know, right now, Africa seems like a dream. Seems like something unreal in my mind. And when I'm over there, this seems unreal. An example you might be able to understand was when we were in Switzerland, we were studying language. Tough job, but somebody has to suffer for Jesus that way. Um, we were studying language, and we were on the bus, the public bus system there, and uh, Deanna and I were uh, going to class, and we heard people speaking and, and so forth, and we thought, we said, one of, one of us said to the other, said, you know, when we go back to America and we're riding the public bus system, we're going to speak in French, and they're not going to be able to understand us. We had totally forgot that there was no public bus system and where we were from in the United States. <laughs> it, it, you know, and that's just Switzerland different world there. But Africa is so different that you move back and forth, you, you just have the impression you're going from one universe to another. And I can try to explain it to you, but you're, not, you're never going to understand it until you actually go there. When we read the Bible, it's like that. We read the Bible and it says, you are the light of the world, and we imagine lights today. Jesus, Jesus had a light that wasn't any better than this. And he said, you are the light of the world. I want to go back to one last illustration for this placement. Um, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. In order men light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a stand, so that it gives light to all in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may, be, they may see your good works and give glory to your fathers in heaven. This illustration comes from Dakar, Senegal. In Dakar, Senegal, you can go visit a lighthouse there, and it's called Le Phare des Mamelles. And uh, Le Phare des Mamelles uh, is, is uh, about halfway between Central Africa, where we first worked, and the United States. Africa is so big. Uh, it's thousands of miles across the continent. Uh, can we go to the next slide here? I think we're on the next one. Anyway. Um, or is it working? Yeah. So you can see the distances there. Let's, let's look at the Le Phare de Mamet. I guess I could look at this one over here, too. Well, that's not the Phare de Mamet. I've already talked about all those things. Sorry, I'm out of order, right? Okay. This is the lighthouse. As you can see, it's on the furthest point west in Africa. 
And we got to visit this. If you go to the next slide, you can see the, the lighthouse. And we got to go up in the top of that and actually see how this, this thing works. And in the top of it, there's this lens. Let's go up to the top, walk up there. And there's this lens. That's called a Fresnel lens. It was invented by Augustin Fresnel, a Frenchman. And in the, originally, this lighthouse had a storm lantern with a light like this. And it would give out a tremendous light. Today, there's a 1,000-watt bulb. The light and that 1,000-watt bulb will, can, can project the light for 36 miles out to sea. 1,000-watt bulb. Why? Because it goes through that prism. There's about 1,000 prisms in this uh, lens and this lens to project this light. And this light is in the center of those prisms. My point is this. What's important is the placement of the light. If I take that 1,000-watt bulb and I set it outside those prisms, it's going to be a light, but it's not going to produce very much. But the moment I put it exactly in the center, where the light is refracted and projected by all those thousand prisms, that light can reach for 36 miles. And my point is that many of us, we may not think that what we can do for Jesus Christ, the gifts and talents and things that he's given each one of us, we may not think much of it. We may not think, I'm just, you know, grade B or grade C Christian. The grade A people, they're up leading praise or doing something else. I'm just down here, I'm, you know, second class, so forth. Because a lot of us are like that. We don't think we can do that much. We don't think we're that capable or that effective. The effectiveness is really dependent on the Holy Spirit, dependent a little bit on, on your willingness to do things for him, your willingness to make sacrifices, to pay a price. But it's also dependent on placement. If you're where God wants you to be, if you're in the center of God's will, God can take your little light and multiply it a thousand times. That's what God can do. He can take your capabilities, your words which you don't know what you're doing. This morning when I woke up, I did not feel inspired. In fact, for weeks I haven't felt, felt inspired. I'm saying, God, is this the message you want me to give or is there something else? But I've learned to know that it's not about me. You know, and even if I don't feel inspired, somebody gets touched. If I'm where God wants me to be, doing what he wants me to do, God is the one that can do something. God is the one that can multiply that a thousand times so that your light becomes like this lighthouse. You're just a little lamp. But if you're in the right place at the right time, doing what God wants you to do, God uses you.